welcome to the CND Podcast. I'm Naima Kalachand, and I'm the Clinical and Custom Content Editor. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Karen Cook. Karen is a hospital pharmacy manager for a private company, and Karen has been suffering with long COVID over the last year. Karen has also been involved in the long COVID Facebook group. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Karen about her experiences of long COVID and the role the pharmacy teams can play in helping to identify and manage patients in the community. This is what she had to say. I became first unwell in March 2020, where I woke up with chest pain and breathlessness and very fatigued. I did not have at that time a cough or temperature I believed might have either some muscular thing going on or whether I just might have pulled something or another type of virus. Because the chest pain was like an elephant crushing on my chest and the breathing quite different to anything I'd experienced, I was encouraged by 111 to phone the paramedics who did come out to me and took me into hospital. And this was on March the 16th, 2020. So very early on, when everybody was just beginning to become aware of what COVID could be, I was isolated and blood tests were taken. And I did ask for a PCR test, not necessarily because I believed I had COVID, but because I work in a hospital with very sick chemotherapy and haematology patients and sick patients post-surgery. It was requested by my boss that I ask that just for peace of mind. It was denied because I had no cough nor temperature. As I left, it was noted that I had a rash in my back and I just went home and isolated just in case as guidelines. And my husband and daughter went through the 14-day isolation too. During that week, I had every symptom that's now been listed as possible for COVID, other than that temperature or cough. So I had the weakness, I had fatigue, I had the sickness and diarrhea and abdominal pain that was like having appendicitis, but I've had those removed when it wasn't. And I did feel very unwell. I couldn't eat, I was completely off my food, and sometimes I struggled even to walk to the bathroom. I felt so drained and unwell. By the seventh day, I did feel better. All the symptoms had passed apart from the breathing and a bit of chest discomfort. I went back the eighth day, as that was the guidance then, still never believing this could have been COVID. And I then struggled, if I was honest with you, for the next three months with breathing being quite markedly affected. But nobody really noticed that because I had a small department where a lot of the staff had to shield. So I was basically working a lot of the time on my own, getting my department ready for what we thought was going to hit us and kind of preparing it for all the kind of social distancing and getting it all cleaned and completely refurbished. I worked a lot on my own. I don't think it was obvious how difficult my breathing was because last April, June, the weather was so very nice. We had a lot of meetings outside and I was so much better outside. 
in July, the chest pain and the heaviness just came back with a vengeance and the breathing much worse. So I went through a pathway of struggling to get a GP to understand what was happening because everything was remote and finally able to use the health insurance I've got with the company to see a private GP and a cardiologist. And weeks later, I had had CTs of the chest and echoes and seven-day monitors and an MRI that confirmed I'd had a bout of pericarditis, which was possibly what started in March and was still there. And probably the reason why I was in so much agony in my chest and the cause of the breathing, I was signed off for another six weeks and thoroughly rested, taking just simple medication like paracetamol and ibuprofen. But I never quite got better and I tried one return to work, but the brain fog had started to hit in. And this is a very common factor for people that they complain of brain fog. I'm a pharmacist and I did used to have a good memory and I would struggle to look at a screen and remember any of my pharmacist's work. I would struggle to do or write pieces of work that I used to find easy and I had dreadful headaches. So I failed the return to work and sadly had to go off again and basically was encouraged to have a complete rest from the computer. Just kind of try to disengage from all the electronic equipment that you have. I couldn't listen to music. My ears were really hurting with tinnitus and noise aversion. And I love music. It's one of my big things. I love dance music. Couldn't listen to that. I had to make sure everything was turned off if we ever went in the car. And I just concentrated on being outside when I could and trying to go for small walks and appreciate the nature. I couldn't watch TV and I found it hard to read. I was concerned, really concerned about my memory and my cognitive. I had discovered the long COVID support group through the Pericarditis UK group where somebody said, you sound like you might have had COVID. There's a lot of pericarditis coming through. And so I went to look for other people because in my area and where I work, it was still then back in October, November, not really very common. It hadn't started to come through as being like this health emergency we have now. And I do think people thought maybe it was kind of anxiety or worry because you were not quite the same. And I just felt something else was going on. The support group was very useful because there are lots of stories of people with the same symptoms, but all struggling with the same issues of fatigue and just not being able to do what they used to be able to do. And a lot of them were very healthy, like I was. I didn't have any pre-existing conditions that were identified, nothing. I used to do a lot of Simba and exercise classes. I used to be able to work long, have a good memory and be the person at work that they asked because I can remember things and I was certainly not that person in November. I thought, why is this going on for so long? And I did wonder if it might be autoimmune. I got referred to a rheumatologist 
who listened to my story and carried out a test. We were thinking more like, could it be lupus or rheumatoid arthritis? So I went through the screening for that. In January, it looked like everything was clear other than one antibody that was pointing to a condition called antiphospholipid syndrome, which is known as sticky blood and predisposes you for clotting. And so it made a lot of sense that maybe the clotting was carrying on in my body in some way. And that's the cause of my headaches and why I felt so listless and why I couldn't concentrate. I wasn't started at that time on any medication because they didn't want to start me on the wrong medication because that could do more harm than good. So I had the referral to then a hematologist and more blood tests done. The same ones repeated were looking for antiphospholipid and further ones. I had a CT of my arteries in my lungs, which was clear. So I thought, this is brilliant. That's wonderful. But in March, my breathing that had started to slightly get better got incredibly worse. We thought that it was the pericarditis back. So I was re-referred to the cardiologist for a repeat echo, which was thankfully clear. However, I had now two different blood tests, the cardiolipin and a snake venom test, which predisposed me for antiphospholipid syndrome. They called for a scan called a VQ scan, which is a scan that looks at your veins in your lungs and looks for clots. And I was diagnosed with multiple PEs in the last week of March started on lifelong warfarin and a diagnosis of a autoimmune condition. I have now been classified as clinically extremely vulnerable and face the challenge of trying to get my INR into a therapeutic range. I'm a pharmacist. I never used to be on any medication. I have lots of experience of counseling patients with all sorts of things I had no idea how difficult getting an INR in range was for people. I thoroughly understand now. I've also had problems with gastrointestinal issues, which could be the antiphospholipid, could be the warfarin, we don't know. So I'm on another pathway to further investigate what could be the cause of why I started to bleed when I shouldn't really probably be. I want to help others. I am absolutely passionate about the right research being done for patients out there. So part of trying to get my brain back working, I offered to help the NIHR in the December to January holiday break to look at the projects that have been submitted for funding and I have come a review for them, which I will do in my own time. And I'm also going to be part of the next round of reviewing the latest set of proposals going through, which will be released in May and then have to be approved in June. I love being a pharmacist. I absolutely believe we have such a role to play in long COVID, which is now emerging as to being a really challenging health crisis for not only the UK, but for many countries. 
I want to be able to return to work in my role, but also to widen everybody's awareness of what pharmacists can do to help. Sounds like it's been a really difficult year for you and you know I'm sorry to hear that you've been through through so much. I just wanted to ask so you know you're, you're talking about return to work what would you say to those you know maybe foreign pharmacy managers who have staff that are returning back to work you know it might not always by the sounds of it be obvious that someone's struggling and, and they're suffering what kind of advice would you give them? I think the key thing is because we've been working so remotely in a lot of our roles and because I have been very lucky that my work has tried to really support me while I've been trying to get my diagnostic pathway confirmed, allowing me to work from home. I wasn't allowed to have the vaccine when I should have done at the beginning of January because it might have confused the results going through. So they were very, very supportive to allow me to work from home on projects that just suited me because the work they gave me to do might not be necessarily pharmaceutical, but it was certainly something that would help the company. It helped get my brain back. However, meetings, a lot of them done are now on Teams or Zoom, whatever organisations use. And you're at a meeting and they've not seen me in person, a lot of them. We're wearing masks so people don't see my facial expressions. They see the person that looks to them the same And indeed, for an hour, I can now talk like I am the same person. In November, I would never have been able to talk to you like this. It would have been far too difficult to get the words out in the right order, but that's better. What they don't see is the journey to get to that screen and the journey after when you're so tired and you have to have regular breaks. And I think it's very hard for pharmacists because everybody will understand you're constantly bombarded from all directions, whatever role you have. You've got the phone going, you've got a patient wanting to see you, you've got a doctor wanting to speak to you. And that I could have done multitasking so well up to last March. Now that's going to be much more of a challenge. I'm absolutely positive I'll get it back once I can get my illness sorted and my warfarin under control. But I think managers and bosses need to understand We might not necessarily be the same because the physical illness has affected us. We want to be the same. And gosh, all the people I've spoken to and interacted with all desperately want to be the same, but are having to adapt and try and get the people around them to realise that we're not quite the same and give us a time. Some people will absolutely, I really do believe, in time be back to normal. But others, sadly might end up with some kind of condition or organ damage which might affect them and so adaptations are really required and listening and understanding and looking at how roles can be adapted. I've always been a firm believer there's an answer for everything you just need to think outside the box and work collaboratively to try and make it a positive experience for both rather than a negative experience. Really good advice on what pharmacy teams can do to support those coming back to work. What about um, with regards to pharmacy teams maybe identifying patients that come into the pharmacy that potentially might have long COVID? So, so maybe people listening to this today are thinking, oh, actually, you know, I have had some of those symptoms and hadn't necessarily considered that it could be um, long COVID. What can pharmacy teams do? I think it would be very useful to know. I mean, I don't work in community, but I have a lot of friends that do and a lot of contacts. And I did used to work in community for a very long time. I think that what is very useful would be to take a patient history, really 
see if you can find out, have they ever had a positive test? Have they ever had an antibody test? If they did, how ill were they? Has anybody in their family or anybody they know that they've been close to been ill? Because there are asymptomatic people, no doubt about it, that might have had it and not realised. And then suddenly, a really unusual symptom suddenly show up. I think it's really important to understand if they had any comorbidities beforehand. If they were really fit and healthy and suddenly they're presenting with something so different to what they ever used to be, I think it is possible to think, could it be on COVID? It might indeed not be. It might be something completely different. But we are seeing in the community that I've kind of chatted to in the evenings to other people, really new emerging things that just kind of show up. And can they be traced back to having COVID or being near COVID? But when did it start? For me, prior to March the 15th or March 6th when I got it, prior to that, I could work long days, exercise, socialise, chat for hours, be really lively. That would have been my kind of baseline then. Now I gauge, and this is the advice the GPs and the consultants have done, where I am on that pathway. So I'm probably 30%, maybe 40%. So that shows me that things going on. And I think just spending the time, because what's been really hard is getting somebody to see you face to face. I'm not rating the GP service at all because I absolutely believe that's the right way possibly. The community pharmacy might end up seeing a lot of patients because they're so more accessible. And to read up on the symptoms and really kind of have an understanding, could that patient in front of you be somebody that possibly needs being referred? Having the strength to do that referral or speak to their GP or encourage them to go and be referred and reassure them that it might not be the stress and anxiety. Indeed, it could be. And there are the thought that some people are kind of like getting on the bandwagon. But I think we need to forget that and really listen to the patients we see, because a lot of them are really scared and don't know where to turn to. And they use us as experts. And this is the time we can really shine. Yeah. And I I guess the difficulty is as well that people are presenting with such different symptoms. So, you know, these patients can be difficult to identify and manage in the community. I think it is. I mean, I think that because I'm very lucky that I've worked in my area for quite a long time, I've got to know a lot of the specialists and consultants and surgical teams because I've worked there for a long time. So they do work very much down a specific silo they're either kind of like colorectal or their cancer or their hematology or their rheumatology or their ENT and they're still learning how all of this is overlapping and there is no specialist for long COVID. I remember one of the specialists saying to me I'd refer you to a long COVID specialist and I said well there isn't one at the moment because it's still so new. I do think that collaboration talking and learning and the GPs are doing that they're learning and I think all the specialists are talking to themselves and the research will help but pharmacists yeah need to keep up to date with it because I think it's the new challenge absolutely and they will want to keep their staff and they want to keep their pharmacy teams going so yes support the staff and also listen to the patients because you have no idea how beneficial it is for a patient to be listened to and On the Long COVID group, we have met so many desperate people of all ages that are facing losing their jobs, not being able to do their degrees, their education. There's an awful lot of kids coming through of all ages that are being affected 
you know, kids that were really bright suddenly can't concentrate anymore and have been in a family, maybe one of their parents was really ill. And so then it's looking like, you know, transmission within the house has affected them and they've been unwell. So yes, I think that more awareness, the more the, the pharmacy can do, the more the pharmacists and their team can read up about it, look at it, offer to help, get involved. I'd love to see us helping with the long COVID clinics being set up. Really would love them to be involved because OTs and physios are fantastic, but I think pharmacy have got a big part to play. But obviously that's a wider thing and needs to be kind of commissioned through all the commissioning bodies and a voice for pharmacy kind of up there promoting that. I think you're completely right. I think pharmacy do have a like pharmacists and pharmacy teams have a really big role to play in supporting these patients. You mentioned pharmacy teams keeping themselves up to date. Can you recommend any resources or anywhere they can find information about long COVID? So obviously you've mentioned, you know, we've learned a lot in the last year and I think we will continue to learn a lot more about the virus as time goes on and the long term effects. You know, for the hospitals, there's a lot of guidance coming through. I think the commissioners are bringing out guidance. I think there's a lot of networks out there. I know Boots have started their own kind of like long COVID journals to read. And I think that it is hard. I've discovered there's an awful lot of information out there, but not all in one place. And I think the problem is the reason why that is, is so many different things are emerging. There are so many research articles being printed. There's so many subjects being discussed, you know, every part of pharmacy, every type of medicine is probably being affected. So yes, where do you go for that? But the NICE guidelines, there's a lot coming out through NICE. There's a lot of publications coming through. Public Health England have got a lot. It is not all in one place, absolutely. But if you work for an organisation, I'm sure they're going to be compiling their own portfolio of where to look. I know we have that. I know the local NHSs have certain kind of experiences of where they put everything they put there on their intranet. So I think there's more and more coming out and just hunt for it. It is there. Sadly, it's not very easy to find somehow. So there's an awful lot of searching to do, which is why I had to do that because I was still very early on and it was all very new. And I don't think we realised how many people would be affected for so long. If you look at the profile of viruses, some take two to three years to get out of someone's system and a lot of autoimmune conditions take a long time to diagnose. I've been very quick. I've met people with my same condition that have gone through five to six years of loads of tests and loads of problems with not being able to do their role. I think that we do need to really look into how we disseminate that and that's such a difficult subject. Just on that, how do you deal with a large amount of kind of fake information on our online so obviously we can use reputable sources but do you find even on the you know the long COVID Facebook group are people kind of posting things that are myths that are floating around or how do you deal with that and debunking those? I don't ever interfere with anybody with that I personally think we have to be very careful about patients coming in and wanting supplements we need to know if they are on any other medication because supplements can interact we need to know, you know, people going to think they might have, they've been told they've got clots, so they go and buy some aspirin. I think the experts would say, we don't want to do that because that causes so many more problems. You then start to get problems with your stomach and then you start to kind of end up with more problems. I think we have to trust our GPs and our medical profession, which is hard for pharmacists because we've been so out there promoting and trying to help people when they want vitamins, supplements, all of that. I think this is the time we have to stand back personally. 
I've seen a lot of people saying, I'm not getting the answers. I'm going to go and try this diet. I'm going to go and try using this product, see a bit of improvement, which is great. But we don't know because we don't understand the mechanism of everybody. So I personally think, and this is just my personal opinion, to be able to treat something, you need to understand what's going on with that person. And everybody's got such individual pathways at the moment. And I just think that with all of that needs to be the careful consideration of what we do suggest. But ultimately, access to summary care records, knowing what the patient's on, knowing what they've had is a big help. And the more that you know about their history and what they've used and what they've tried, the more you might be able to recommend something safe. Is there any other thing else you'd like to say, finish off? The university and the teaching establishments within the pharmacy, I think a lot of them have really taken on board what's going on and they're building people to have long COVID instead of teaching a bit like probably, you know, we've gone through the HIV, we've gone through ME and chronic fatigue. I think long COVID is coming through. More will come out about how it works, I'm absolutely sure. The biggest thing is it's happening in every country and there are studies going on in every country and there's collaboration with the studies. They're international. So there is more evidence. You asked about what's the right thing to read. I think if you had something published and it's gone through the publishing on there and you've got people on there that have got probably quite good research backgrounds, you can probably pick out the relevant parts. I do believe we're very lucky in this country to have the NIHR. I think they are very, very good at how they scrutinise and work through the projects they're submitted. I think they've got a very good team. I think they work well with NICE. These are really, really kind of, you know, strong organisations in our country that we can be proud of. And I think everywhere the research teams are really stepping up this year because they've had the opportunity to do that. My biggest thing, if I was honest with you, is the IT. For my journey, still now, I have results through the hospital, results through the GP and results privately. And getting them all tied up into one record is really hard. And now I'm trying to find out some bloods that I had taken a week ago and nobody can find them. So where are they posted? So they're not on my GP records. So my GP can't advise and on my consultant's record. So Things like getting our data in one place would make it so much easier for the correct advice, which is then going to be quicker rather than a bit cumbersome because you have to just wait another day or you have to wait another week. And that's a very big project. That's, I think, one of the key things the NHS need to address. And I think they're trying to do that. We all know about IT and trying to link all the systems together is really hard. That was Karen Cook hospital pharmacy manager, speaking about her own experiences of long COVID and how managers can help those team members who've had long COVID return to work and where the pharmacy team can support patients with long COVID. You can find more updates and information on COVID-19 on our COVID-19 hub on our website. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to CND Podcasts on SoundCloud or your preferred app. Thank you for listening. Thank you.